The skills they can only use in band and in school, such as playing their third trombone part for the festival and to try to get a high rating, I don't think that's enough to sustain students over four years. That's today's guest, drummer and educator Sammy Miller, reminding us to stay focused on what really matters when it comes to connecting with our students. Welcome to Music Ed Insights. I'm leadership trainer and former band director Alan Fire, here with composer and co-college music education program head Steve Shanley. Each episode, Alan and I talk with national thought leaders in music education, practical insights for K-12 music educators. Steve, tell us about our guest. A native of Los Angeles, Sammy Miller has become known for his unique maturity and relentless focus on making music that feels good as a drummer, singer, and band leader. Upon completing his master's degree at the Juilliard School, Sammy formed his ensemble, The Congregation. As a band, they are focused on sharing the power of community through their music, Joyful Jazz. Sammy has also created the Playbook Method for teaching creativity, and we'll talk more about that in our interview. Find Sammy's full bio, show notes, and resources at musicheadinsights.com. Alan, what was the takeaway you had from this episode? I loved all the attention to keeping things natural and conversational, which makes rote learning safe, for example. Lots of effective tips here. What about you, Steve? When it comes to music, it's all about the groove. Even in all my years of preaching this to others, our discussion with Sammy helped me refocus on this important area of my teaching with all ensembles, not just jazz groups. We recorded this midsummer, and since this conversation, I've turned again to the latest research in student motivation and retention, and Sammy and I have been sharing findings back and forth since then. It's been helpful to both of us in our work with young people and their teachers. Let's get to Sammy Miller. Sammy Miller, welcome to the program. Glad to be here. In my opinion, one of the most difficult issues in our American K-12 music education system is that music class in middle and high school especially is usually band or orchestra or choir. And I think many people continue to sing into their adult years, but sometimes those clarinets or violas get packed up or sold never to be played again. What are some ways you think our music teachers can help students develop skills to be lifelong musicians? This is the crux of everything I think about. This is the crux of why I started Playbook. This is why I was attracted to education is because there's a little bit of, of sleight of hand when you join music, right? They say, do you want to join music class? They bring instruments to the fifth graders and they show up and uh, they say, look how fun it is to express yourself. And then they join and they're in sixth grade, sixth grade, they're in band and they go, ha, ah, now learn to read. And it becomes like a glorified math class. I'm interested in how you build lifelong musician skills. And I think that goes to the idea that music should be taught like a language. We always say it's a universal language, but the way that you would be able to speak it and speak it fluently and to, to use the different skills as an adult would be around learning it like language. So we'd have to work on babbling first. Uh, we'd have to work on mimicking long before we're ever talking about reading or writing. If we start with that as the premise, then as we learn our instruments, it's about how we can communicate with others. And now in adulthood, it's much easier to make the transition into dad rock band or make the transition into playing, you know, fly me to the moon for your wife at your wedding or happy birthday, at your 90th grandmother's birthday. I just think if you're learning it as a language where you're learning songs, you're mimicking. And then from that, you're understanding how the music works the same way we learn grammar later, but we learn to speak first and listen a ton of listening. Then all of a sudden, students are empowered to do this as something as a skill that they won't forget it becomes like riding a bike so i assume you're referring to 
the the way a lot of instrumental music is taught in middle and high school is the symbol first and then the sound second. Uh, and so you're advocating much like we would in a learning our native language or another language. We are better off listening to the sounds first, mimicking the sounds and later learning what the symbols look like. And one of the challenges for that is, you know, you got a whole band full of 56th graders all playing different instruments and different transpositions and whatnot. And, and doing all of that sound first can be overwhelming. And I think that's one reason why we do it backwards is the symbol first is kind of the only way really to, to manage maybe large numbers like that. So how do you propose approaching that in a larger group setting, uh, either with beginners or with more advanced students? When anyone has fun with music, it's around once there's a groove tied to expression. For instance, an exercise I do with every class I go into, I start with like a warm up of, I do the swung eighth note because I come from a jazz background, but you can do it with straight eighth note. Can you hear that? I don't know. And I get us to express like two bar ideas. So say the topic would be Apple. I would say, hey, Steve, do you like Apple products? And then he might respond, oh boy, do I love them. We begin to have a conversation. So now we're thinking about expression first and foremost. And then as we learn notes, maybe we're going to take, if we're, if, we're a, if we're a concert band class, I'm going to say, let, what's our B flat? Let's all learn one note. We're going to learn this one note. And now we're going to take that, uh, hey, Steve, do you like Apple products? Do, 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 do. So we're starting first with with English language, and then we're starting to, respond from the English language to our instrument, that one note. So we start with English language and then all the games should be around us creating and taking what we already know, which is language. Maybe we can be loud. We can be soft. Maybe we can be legato or staccato. We can teach everything within the framework of this native language we know and then moving it over to this other universal, other universal language we're going to speak. This reminds me, we were fortunate to have Jeff Coffin and his band in a while back, and they played a piece like in unison for all of us. They're like, try and figure out the rhythm. Can you figure out what song this is or what, what we're doing? And, and it was it was like seemed crazy out even to me. And I'm like, OK, so uh, mm -hmm, I OK, that's a quarter. That's and then they get done and they said, OK, so that was basically just a musical interpretation of reciting the Pledge of Allegiance. And then they play it again. And all of a sudden you can predict exactly where every rhythm mm. is going to go. And it was that tying it to the language thing. And I'm a little embarrassed. That was probably 15 years ago that I saw that. And I thought that was really cool. And it never occurred to me that, you know, we could do that in reverse with our own students where we would come up with simple things like that. And what you're suggesting, we see all the time in elementary general music classrooms. That's a really common thing. But I, I don't think I have seen that in like a band room or an orchestra room warm up at, with students right. of any age. And like you said, once you know one note, you can all kind of play one note. And really, I mean, even if some of them are playing, not playing concert B flat and they're playing a concert F, it really doesn't matter, right? You're still getting the same right. concept across. Right. You bring up something really funny that which I because I've worked with a ton of different educators across the country and I I love my jazz educators, but I have to say sometimes my jazz educators are more uncomfortable being expressive than our general music teachers. Oh, and I totally <laughs> agree. I agree with that. Yes. As, um, Once again, a, a, a recurring thread on this podcast is general music teachers have a lot of stuff figured out. 
and upper grades would do would do well and be wise to to check out their wisdom. One hundred percent. So I the thing I teach them to go. I don't want to improvise. It's scary. I say improvisation is just talking to your friends with your instrument. Huh. So I talk to my friends, right? But we're just adding an instrument. So what do we do when we talk to our friends? Like often you people, okay, we 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 laugh, we maybe tell stories, we gossip, we tease each other, all these kind of things. I say, well, let's try to do that, but using our instruments. I think we focus on what we're calling it right away. And I think a lot of the terms are their inhibitors from us doing it. So when you say like improvisation, it sounds already pretty fancy. But you say like I'm just talking with my friend. There are probably a number of, of band and orchestra teachers who do warm-ups where there's maybe some call and response where, all right, today we're going to work on eighth notes. So repeat after me, da, 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 and they repeat after. So there is some listening, but you're suggesting adding this step of applying text or lyrics or English native language to it. Why is that part important? Why do we need to do the... Hey, Steve, did you, what did you do over the weekend? Why do we need to make that rhythmic and then apply some, uh, a pattern to it? First thing you said, Steve, when we got on, you said vocalists keep doing it when they're adults. And the reason the clarinet gets packed away is because that's not a native language. So we have to start with something we know really well. And so even if they go, I don't know, I can't do that many words. I just say, say your name again. So I would say, Steve, 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 Steve. So I think it's really important we get confident in the first game before we add any, we begin to ornament that game. So how does making an English sentence into a musical statement on my clarinet as a sixth grader or 11th grader translate into me making music when I'm 32 and I sold the clarinet or I have the clarinet, but no one wants to play it with me because there's no band in my town? The reason singers do it is because they know songs. The problem with the clarinetist is they know parts. If we're learning songs, then we we have something we can always come back to that we know, regardless of instrument. With, with playbook, I teach it as we teach it through. We teach the groove first. Like I talked about that rhythm game, whatever we're doing, we start with groove. That's the defining thing that I find for most people. That's what they like in music, regardless of the style. We talk about groove and then we learn the melody. Everyone learns the melody. I don't care if you play upright bass. You should learn the melody. I start with hot cross buns. It's like the song I noticed everyone can probably has in their in their dome piece they have in their brain. Then we teach the baseline, which I call, which is the form. And then we go to which is like what most music ends up being is the harmonies, the color. Those are the four groove, melody, baseline, harmony. And the great thing about this is if we learn groove and melody, we can already create music. It sounds like most music. The other stuff is just is color and sophistication. But you can create music around your students learning. Just if you teach them groove, which is how they can keep good time as they play melodies, if they learn these songs, they'll be able to do that as an adult. And the improv stuff, I think, is important because now you can begin. You're not just doing the same thing over and over. You learn the tools for variation. Am I following correctly that your point is if a student is learning these skills on a clarinet that even if after high school they don't have an outlet with the clarinet they've developed these skills that they can apply to if they want to teach themselves the ukulele or the guitar or the bass guitar or, or the piano and they have a good building block for that because of the way that they approached learning their band or orchestra instrument 100 percent. and just one additional note 
if they are using their ears right at the beginning and that's something those are school skills they're building out like um the calling and the responding hearing something and playing it back with one note playing it back with two notes playing it back with three notes now if they actually hear another song they like they'll have the tools to learn that melody you mentioned that we learn these terms and improvisation all of a sudden is scary. I think about that even with college students. I'll ask them, all right, so what does improvisation mean? And immediately the first word they almost all say is theory because that's that's how in jazz band they were taught to improvise. You have to learn theory first. And I love how this involves in a lot of cases uh, in, in these examples, you don't need to do anything with music at all. You just get to speak however you want, say the words you want in whichever way you'd like to to do them. And I think that goes a long way to sort of uh, making it less scary, these words that maybe get thrown around. Because I think for some of them, they hear that improvisation and they're going to just decide immediately to shut down. And I also think there are teachers like that as well. You said the jazz band teachers tend to maybe be a little bit less expressive. And I agree with that. But I also feel like some of our non-jazz educators, if we say, okay, we're going to work on teaching improvisation and creativity to your whole band, they're like, oh, I can't improvise. I can't do that at all. Versus approaching it in this way in a very small, manageable chunk. You brought up something even for those college kids, like, why are they learning to improvise? And 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 for me, I think about it as it's a vehicle to communicate. The theoretical part is so you can add more colors to what you're improvising. You can add more adjectives and, and adverbs and all this great stuff to your language, to your idea. But at your core, it's it's about communicating. So if we remember why we're doing it and we focus on groove is the strongest way to communicate, our improvisations will make a ton more sense. I feel like one of the weaknesses in a lot of jazz band improvisation pedagogy is it's very much scales, notes, patterns, licks, and the rhythmic component, which is, you know, we know is the most important part. That's what really sets the great jazzers apart is their time feel gets often ignored or pushed to the after we learn the super hypo mixo cool scale then we'll maybe talk about where we're supposed to accent or whatever and your approach we're just in on the groove in on the rhythm right away yeah and the kids who want to delve into really dense harmony that's something that's always available if we learn that first we're going to lose so many of the kids so many kids will lose that those lifelong skills around expression they'll know their scales but again, when they're 45, they're not going to feel comfortable taking out their saxophone and playing it for their nephew. Well, and one of the ways that we're going to teach them these skills that they'll have for life is if they stay in our class. <laughs> so uh, one of the one of the major stressors I, I know for Alan and I when we were high school band directors was students who would either not continue in high school or almost worse, they'd try us for a year and be like, Eh, and then quit. What are some things that you have found to be effective for retaining students in middle and high school music programs? Yeah, I will answer that. But can, can you answer first? I'm actually really curious what kind of stuff you settled on. I made this my master's thesis uh, project. The, the question was, why do kids quit band? Of course, I had to use different words than that. But that was the basic premise of the study. And, and I started it in 1997 or 96, started in 1996 when I was having a lot of students quit band because I wasn't a very good teacher. But instead of looking in the mirror, I like went to the library 
And I did a literature review over about 50 studies. I think it's 49 studies that were peer reviewed. And one thing that was interesting, some people asked directors why kids quit music and others asked students and parents uh, or counselors or administrators why, why kids quit music. It was two different sets of data. Because if you ask the directors, why did quit kids quit music? It's, well, it was too hard for them. Uh, there are a lot of schedule conflicts. They probably weren't good enough to continue, so they were discouraged. When you look at the preponderance of the information from others, it's the director. Wow. Does the director have a positive attitude toward the program? Does the director do things that, that engage the students? So that's sort of like the big broad picture at the high school level. At the elementary level, actually, the data pointed out that communication between the teacher and the parents was a bigger indicator of students staying in music as opposed to any anything else. So basically, if the parents felt like they were part of the process, the kids stayed in the younger grades. And the older grades, it's basically up to the teacher. How the teacher builds relationships and runs the program and how well they communicate uh, with all the stakeholders, just, just that, that engagement connection seems to be what makes the difference as long as they're also competent at their skills. What, what about you, Steve? Oh, I think we've heard enough from the co-hosts at this point. Let's uh, let's <laughs> let's hear Sammy's response. I used to always think about how to impact the student, but now I much more think about what how to empower teachers who then can impact students. And and I've shifted my focus as a friend to like I want to create lifelong musicians too. I want to give teachers the tools to inspire lifelong musicians. And I find a lot of that is the mood in the classroom, the culture, the places I see it effective are places that have students become taking ownership over the band room. That's something I see a lot when I see it done well. Students taking on ownership, how they clean the room, how they take care of it. The leadership roles I find are super important for successful programs. And again, those are skills that they can use outside a band. The skills they can only use in band and in school, such as playing their third trombone part for the festival and to try to get a high rating, I don't think that's enough to sustain students over four years. Totally. It's that culture. And I do think it stems back to the director and what you described where the students kind of own the program, they're empowered, they help out with the program. That can only happen if the director makes it happen. Yeah. And then an effective director will make themselves invisible and fade into the background because it's the student's band, but they have to set the stage for that, create that situation. That's the Miles Davis effect or the Duke Ellington. You listen to Duke Ellington records. It's not piano all the time. He's setting right? the stage and then occasionally he throws this little thing or Miles will play a short solo. And then he says, go ahead, Wayne Shorter, Tony Williams, Ron Carter, Herbie Hancock. Yeah. Yeah. You've been referencing Playbook a little throughout this interview. Why don't you go ahead and tell us a little more about that? What do our listeners need to know? Playbook is an online platform around the principles I've been talking about that offers teachers the tools to create lifelong musicians from fourth and fifth grade all the way up through college. We're learning music using those four building blocks, groove, melody, baseline, harmony. And then all along the way, we're getting instrument-specific training much in the style that you would at a conservatory. So I've compiled a group of incredible educators and musicians who they play on all of the songs that we learn. There's there's a flex player so you can fully customize what you want to practice with and play along with mute tracks, record along. It just looks like a mixing board. And the musicians that you get to play along with are then teaching masterclasses on every song. So it's a pretty comprehensive curriculum 
we, we've following the, the, the national and NAFME standards and thinking about responding and performing and connecting, but first and foremost, creating. So it, it, it's, it's just a, it's a platform that keeps growing and, and evolving, but it's really about supporting teachers all along the way to give students those lifelong skills. That sounds great because I think there are some listeners who were hearing us go back and forth on some ideas and they were thinking, oh, yeah, I could do that. I would just do this. I might get a little groove, you know, started with my iReal Pro or whatever and get that over this. And then there's probably other teachers who are like, that all sounds great, but I do not know how to do that myself. And it sounds like Playbook would be perfect for someone like that. 100%. Yeah, you can check it out at thisisplaybook.com. But I'll say for the teachers that are going to do in the iReal book pro i i do have a bone to pick with you because as a student I, I grew up playing in my family band and then i would play along with records it's not fun for a student to play along with midi recordings let them play along with live instruments so that's why for all of the music that we have on playbook I'm, i got my favorite musicians to listen to and made them record on whether it's hot cross buns or whether it's really advanced coltrane changes songs like their play alongs designed much like Jamie Abersell or something, but you're playing along with great musicians. So it's actually fun to practice with. And they're getting that good sound model of this is what a good bass yeah. player sounds like as opposed to the MIDI bass. Yeah. I think you said you made your favorite musicians play. What sort of coercion techniques did you use? Maybe we could apply that to retention in the classroom. Alan, that's going to have to be on a different episode. <laughs> oh, that's going to be part two. All right. Is this available? Does it work for all instruments? I mean, violins, recorders, or just band instruments? Or what's it available for? It works for everyone now. It started out just for the jazz band kids. And then I was working with schools and they said, what about my flutes? I said, yeah, that's a really good point. He said, well, what about my clarinets? I said, yeah, you're right. Then I had orchestra teachers go, you know, what about us? We want it. So at this point now we've built it out um, for for any instruments. Singers? Singers too? Scatting? scat away the singers are some of the best uh, some of the choirs are some of the most fun to work with yeah cool all right well can you stick around real quick for a lightning round five lighter topic questions i'd love to all right i'm gonna force you to pick your favorite restaurant in new york city emmett's on grove what kind of food it's the best cheeseburger this pizza too but i just go there and i get oh it's a perfect cheeseburger piece of music composer or performer that you wish more people knew about anyone who plays jazz it's less than one percent of the market so any jazz record <laughs> that that's a good point <laughs> how about a favorite film or tv series you've recently enjoyed i'm watching ken burns's uh civil war it's beautifully done it's an amazing piece of of art i watched that i think when it came out when i was in middle school does that that one stand the test of time still work yeah it's it's, it's just so well done Cool. Most memorable live music performance you've attended? When I was in ninth grade, I saw Wayne Shorter. And I was just kind of getting into jazz. And I've been talking about a lot of like real like grounded sounds. This was not like groove melody, baseline harmony. It was just exploded and, and insane and gorgeous. And I had never, I'd never heard people be that expressive. And finally, a book recommendation for our listeners. River of Doubt. It's the story of, of Teddy Roosevelt exploring the, the Amazon after he was president. Sammy Miller, thank you so much for giving us your time and your gifts today. It was great talking to you. Thank you both for having me on the show. Thanks for listening to Music Ed Insights. We're supported by Group Dynamic, a leading provider of youth leadership workshops. Alan works with dozens of schools each year to help develop their leaders. Learn more at groupdynamic.net 
slash youth hyphen leadership. Or you could email me at alan at groupdynamic.net. Also sponsored by the Co-College Music Education Program. They've got a website too. Just click their link at our website or email me at shanley at coe.edu. Also, The Normal Design, helping normal companies and people create memorable, meaningful, and professional designs and branding. More at thenormaldesign.com. And Winterset Websites, website design and maintenance. Wintersetwebsites.com. Our Facebook page is Music Ed Insights. Our website has program notes, links, and a one-page download of this episode's key takeaways. That's musicedinsights.com. New episodes generally drop every couple weeks on Monday. Get current. Stay relevant. Music Ed Insights.